Welcome to the Pious, the Pig, and the Podcast. I'm Colby Mitchell. And I'm Davis Pig. This is a podcast where I'd like to teach Davis a little bit about Catholicism, and he makes fun of me for it. Davis, how's it going? Going pretty well. Uh, you know, just the normal Monday scaries rather than the Sunday scaries. About to go uh, back to work from Labor Day. So this has the, been the one big thing I've done today. So I, I should you- definitely be prepared. You're back on the grind. I always hate the Monday holidays. I would rather them be shifted to Fridays and we have Labor Day on a Friday because, I don't know, I, I enjoy my work, so I think that's what makes me different than most people, but I like to get off to a good start on a Monday. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can understand that, but uh, yeah, I'm not going to propose anything that endangers the occasional <laughs> three-day weekend, so uh, I, I'm good keeping it where, where we are. I don't feel passionately enough about it to actually, like, Throw that in as a risk. Yeah, I get that. I was envying uh, you living up in the the Smoky Mountains uh, over the last day because I looked at the weather forecast and I was like, "Great, it's gonna be a great weather uh, weather day for Labor Day. It's gonna be like seventy eight degrees. We can hang out on the back porch." And we hung out on the back porch all day, but whenever it's ninety percent humidity, you're just sweating. Oh yeah, that's every rough. last drop. Rough. Welcome to Mississippi, but but again, shouldn't you be happy for water? You have so much water not coming out of the spouts, but yet coming out of the air. I've got plenty of water in the suburbs. Uh huh. Yeah. No. Well, that's not the issue. Remember. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, I did go down to New Orleans last week, and I went to my first Latin mass. Oh, neat. It was a low mass, so it was just a daily mass. No chanting and incense and whistles and all that jazz i mean that's I got not a, the normal mass uh, no no that's the, yeah, the so high mass is normal and and what people love so much the low yeah. mass it, it was very boring to it clarify was not for me. yeah to complete to clarify by exclusion it's like oh it's not like the normal catholic you know every sunday math mass when we uh we chant and and have incense no that's not every day no, that's week, definitely rather. not every day for the for the vernacular. What's called the Norvis Ordo, which is your normal mass that you know you're familiar with. Oh the, yeah, the uh, Norvis Ordo. I call it that all the time. I know, I know uh, you do. Uh huh. Yeah. The uh, but the the Latin mass for a for a weekday mass. It just I I wanted to see what the hype was about, and I need to go to one that's actually got the bells and whistles and incense and. And is actually done well, uh, but you know, daily mass. I'm I'm fine. Give it give it to me in English. I want to understand. I'm there to for extracurriculum at that uh-huh. point. Yeah, the extra points. Did you get an indulgence for going to that Latin mass? I don't know. I got to check my book. I bought a book after oh our indulgence talk. That was the. It's like list all of the indulgences that you can possibly get. There has to be an app. And if there is, if there is trademark, so. I, it, that's a trademark right here. No one steal it. Like, <laughs> that's a that's a verbal trademark, which is definitely not legally enforceable. But, but I, there, I, hell, I don't know. I'm not first in trademark law. But anyway, yeah. No, there's got to be a thing that like geolocates you if you like, you know, say on a trip and you're like, oh hey, there there's an opportunity for an indulgence like three and a half miles away. <laughs> like, like Pokemon Go. Damn right. Like. <laughs> Again, back to our, our thing about indulgences, got to catch them all. That would be, I'd actually enjoy that if you're just going to spend a summer and we're going to like, hey, every weekend we're going to road trip and we're going to find a new 
uh, beautiful cathedral that's in our area. We can make a little day pilgrimage, get an indulgence, log yeah. it on your phone. Check check back next week when Colby uh, is slowly learning to code. <laughs> and then check back next year when I'm swimming in a gold coin pool like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, it'll be the good. It'll be like the three bucks a month from our from this podcast, and then you know the millions. And uh, your app money. Hey, the guy who made Flappy Bird, if you recall that, I mean, that dude was raking in like 40 a day. Well, granted, then we're back to uh, back to square one and all the Protestants are mad at us for selling indulgences just in a roundabout modern way. Well, I mean, I mean, probably justifiably so, like <laughs> in, in, a, in a way to, uh, yeah, putting a modern spin on an old, uh, old problem still makes it a problem. <laughs> yes, that 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 was the weird thing, though, because I was looking for basically this book in PDF form because you can get the Bible on USCCB, the Conference of, Cal- Cal- uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops website. You can get the catechism on their website as well. Could not find this book. You had to buy it. Yeah, so you probably had USCCB. to pay the author. Like, oh, is it like made by them or I mean, but still yeah, it's. It's compiled by the USCCB. Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's one of their things driving revenue. But uh, man, Col- <laughs> Colby, you should a lot of money so- to be made. I was about to say, yeah, su- support uh, authors, man. Support artists. Like, don't go pirating things about uh, the Bible and its, I guess, addendums. Oh. <laughs> so what are we well, talking about today, Colby? Today, well, it being Labor Day. And then also just, you know, the high cultural holiday down here in the South happened this last weekend, too, the start of college football season. Got me thinking about, okay, what is a Catholic culture? Does a Catholic culture exist? How does it exist? What are the, the key points of it? So what is the let me, tailgating of the Catholic culture? Yeah. Exactly. It's and uh, I'll tell you what the tailgating is. It's it's we're about to have German Fest out at uh, my parish this next weekend. Gonna be tailgate tents everywhere you can see people grilling bratwurst. It is literally going to be the tailgating of of the Catholic Church. In oh no, a way I'm that talking only generally, a, not not your uh, in your, I guess insulated area. Like, how cool would that be if before masses on Sundays you saw people grilling, <laughs> getting ready with their tents outside the church, going, "No, nah, I don't think I'm gonna go in this time. I'll just be out here flipping burgers, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll hit y'all afterwards. I'm gonna have a yeah. few beers. <laughs> I'll, I'll catch it. I'll catch it on the TV out here, and it's just a live stream of what's inside running on a, yes. a shitty, uh, on a Honda generator. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah. That. <laughs> they don't, yeah, they see. don't allow beers in the in the church. <laughs> They won't let me go in with my drinks. So I'm gonna just catch it out here. Ugh. That part of the uh, the tailgating experience has changed in the secular world. You can buy beer in a college football stadium now. Can you really? Yep. And you also, uh, and this is niche to our fault. Fo- uh, you know the people who listen now, but they they took out a lot of the bleachers in the top of Davis Wade Stadium where Mississippi State plays, and they put in basically what the left field lounges is up there. You could take coolers and refrigerators and oh, whatever wow. you want up there. People have actual refrigerators that they have plugged in up at the top to house their beer. My Lord. Well, that, well that's, I mean, that's a way to go about it, and I'm never going to put anything past human inventiveness. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, no, hey, uh, 
can't say specifically to all of our listeners, I guess, in this end, because I don't know if you've uh, checked the old analytics, because uh, we, we have a listener from the Czech Republic. Oh. Um, so shout out to that person. I hope you're enjoying your your very niche Southern Catholicism podcast. Yeah, yeah no, it, it was a it was a real. Uh, I mean, we, we're seriously international now. We got U.S. is pretty heavy based. Then uh, we got a uh, our, our one friend down there in Honduras. Love you. As Amelia. soon as and, as uh, soon as we do our first ad read, then we can call ourselves professional. We've made it at that point. Yeah, I mean, we're we're definitely international. We got we got three countries. Uh, yeah, I mean, no other way around it. Maybe somebody well, clicked da- on it by accident, but I'll I'll take it. Well, Davis, what makes a culture? Whenever you think of a culture, what are you thinking about? People. People? Yeah, Anything about like, the people? I mean, I don't, I don't think a herd of elephants has culture. Uh, I might be wrong, and that might be like, I don't know, speciesist of me. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think it requires a human... Uh, element and multiple humans at that certainly well what builds it up it's going to be your common food that you eat common interests uh your language your art your music the way you behave the way you uh have your systems of beliefs shared tradition is probably a good short succinct way to say that that'd be a great way to say that it's it's another way it's been called is the way of life for an entire society. Okay. So, do you think Catholics have their own culture? I would say, I mean, largely yes. Um, I'm trying to think just like religious culture in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm no anthropologist, but I, I, I'd say yeah. But I mean, we're, we're a shared, uh, larger group of people with shared uh, beliefs and traditions. So, I mean, I think that kind of hits a lot of the bullet points which you would typically call a culture. Yeah, I would I would agree. I would say that yeah, yes, it is a distinct culture at the same time it's not all it's not its own culture in itself. So, like a guy who's going to mass in rural Tennessee is not going to be dressed the same way as uh, people in the mass in Zimbabwe. The music's going to sound different, the art is going to depict the same stories, but it's always, also often going to be in a different style. It's going to look a little different. Um, saying yeah, for example, to saying yes, ma'am, here in Mississippi to somebody who's let's say thirty-five years old mm-hmm. is going to get you a polite smile. Whenever we would say that up in Denver when we lived there, oh, it yeah. gave you a dirty look. Like I can't believe you would offend me so mm-hmm. hard by saying yes, ma'am, to me. Yeah, I so, had to really code switch that out of my lingo once I moved into like a professional setting. Yes, so th- so that is, you know. One way that we don't have the same culture, but at the same time we share the same holidays, we same the sa- share the same form of worship, we have the same ethical code, we have the same governor in the Pope. Yeah. Uh, we share a common language, the same colored garments, the same rituals, a distinct type of music. We do have these things that make us a culture as well. But by part of being Catholic is adapting our faith to an existing culture. Some very smart Catholics realized this as well. Before, we were like, hey, here's our culture. You're going to adopt that, or (laughs) you don't want to know what's going to happen. So so similar to, I mean, the pretty common, I like to think well-known example, but like 
like how how uh, all major Christian holidays fall on a lot of old pagan holidays. Easter being the the summer solstice, the mm-hmm. the Christmas being the winter equinox, and what have you. Right, and yeah, that so. that is something that the Catholic Church, some wise people, figured out. Oh, you know that's the way to do it. You mm-hmm. know if we can if we can take parts of their culture and bring them into the Christian faith and mod it, I guess, mm-hmm. in a way, uh, then that's going to be a lot more effective than, you know, conversion by the sword. Yeah. Pro- I mean, probably. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's the big thing with that is that not all cultures are necessarily, not every cultural aspect should stay. You know, if you're sacrificing children in volcanoes, yeah, we need to cut that out. Mm-hmm. Can't keep that. Says you. If you says me. Yes. Says me. <laughs> says that, a lot of others. The, the hard, the hard line you're gonna take here is Colby's against tossing babies in volcanoes. That's my hot take of this hot of this take. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The most lukewarm. You know. Right. So, so it is. Just as the individual has to be purified and rectified with Christ and the church, so does a culture as well. So if, if you do have, like, the pagan holiday, you know, that's not good. We need to purify that. We can keep the celebration, but we need to bring it into the light of Christ and, and purify it as well. Uh, and we also want to do that because we don't want to just, like, hey, you know that your favorite part of the year was the, the babies in volcano sacrifices and around December 25? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, we're not going to do that anymore. Oh, well... That we're gonna celebrate a baby. Things, but you know what? We're still gonna celebrate. We're gonna we're gonna have some some cookies yeah. and yeah. Don't don't, don't ask <laughs> questions about Santa the date. Don't ask questions about the date of his actual birth because it was definitely in the spring. But uh, but I yeah, think we that's just being refuted again now. Actually, I think some more. You know, the further you get from it, the more you're like, "What are you basing this off of?" But I I think there, I think that came back into debate. Well, I stick with it until I'm proven otherwise wrong. I think, I'm not going to do a whole lot of research to, to back it up. Um, you do just, you, man. That yeah, I'm just going to say it confidently. Maybe, hey, maybe that's a topic of conversation one day. Again, the segment of a, this episode where we think of topics for the future is... Yeah. is and don't it, write down many of them. Yeah, exactly. No, is to specifically forget say... Forget entirely. Yeah, yeah, we'll just uh, we'll do that later and then uh, forget about it immediately after we post this. Yeah. Now there there was a synod in 1985. It spoke of enculturation, which uh, is synod meaning s s y n o d. Yeah. Yes. Sign, the, what we up. you know whenever a Sign collection up, of yeah. church leaders comes together, uh, it spoke of enculturation, which is a term that I don't know if anyone outside a Catholic church uses or a Catholic yeah, I mean, faith uses. It's that, it sounds like an end around like to propaganda. It's, it's not making, propaganda. It's enculturization. Or whatever you right. say. <laughs> it, but what it is is basically making a the current culture that's there Catholic, and that is to, uh, in, in, it's supposed to make transformation of an authentic cultural values into a Christian value set as well. I mean, so could we, it also sounds like a synonym for colonization. I mean, it could certainly be looked that way, and there's going to be a lot of of wackos out there that are like, "You're trying to force your culture on these 
people that had such a beautiful culture. Yeah, well, they were sacrificing babies in the volcano. Uh, so, okay, you just made so many generalizations there. Like, it, like I don't think it's a wacko to say, like, okay, yeah, it is forcing a different belief system, because it is objectively a different belief system, and not oh, everyone certain- tossed babies into volcanoes. So, I, I, right. yeah, like, I mean, okay, it definitely, I'll give you that. yeah. Well, well, let's like let's look at the 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 Native Americans, for example, in there. Certainly, there were some people who came in and just wiped out civilizations because they thought, yeah, let's use the sword to convert these people, or specifically blankets full of smallpox. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. tomato, tomato. But the there there were smarter Catholics that came over here as well that looked at the culture of whichever tribe of Native Americans there were present and said, oh, they do have these spiritual elements where they're understanding who God is and and trying to find the truth, and we have the pieces that can fill in that puzzle. So they're trying to figure this out, and they actually are almost there here. Let's finish the, the, the picture for them and, and show them what it is. And entire tribes converted to Catholicism because they were like, oh, yeah, that's part of it. God's, you know, God revealed part of that truth to them without bringing it full circle with them as well. That's why we have, uh, um, why did I bring her up? Because I don't want to say her name. I'm going to butcher her name. St. Kateri Tekawitha. <laughs> no, is that the, the same saint we uh, spoke about last episode? Yes. <laughs> um, but then you also have these chieftains that uh, I was I was looking at. Uh, it was one of those little Facebook getcha ads that was like, you'll never believe these pictures of the. But it had like the headshot of these these, these chiefs and all of these different tribes. Well, if you zoomed out in the headshot a little bit, they're wearing big old crucifixes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also uh, I saw a stat today. There is more. Native American Catholics, by percentage wise, than there are everyday American uh, Catholics. Yeah, we're go- we're gonna go ahead and uh, well, yeah, walk back the everyday American thing as well. But it's like Native American; they're a higher percentage, uh, like a percentage of population than like like the other demographics. So like white Americans, black right. Americans, Americans like- not living on on reservations. Oh, is it specifically on reservations? Or yes. It- oh, yes. It's spe- on on reservations, it's it's twenty five percent. And then I think uh, off reservation, it's like twenty one percent or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. So, but but that is you know it's something that's. Wouldn't have happened if you just said, "Hey, we're going to convert by the sword." No, we got part of their culture, we understood it, we lived it, we figured it out, and said, oh, here's the missing gaps, and we enculturalized you. Enculturalization turns into enculturalize. Enculturalize doesn't sound better either. No. (laughs) Again, it it, it colonized, you know, whatever it is. uh, Yeah. It almost sounds like a synonym. Yeah, and that's one of those things where you're like, okay, am I just being brought in by what the world decided was good and evil or by actually looking at, hey, what is right and just? Because, yeah, to to some professor at name a college was like, well, you shouldn't have forced your religious beliefs on these people. Well, the point of this life is to bring others to Christ and get everybody to heaven. So that's a just act, even though the world might say it's not. On the Catholic side, like yeah, yeah, no, I, I yeah. understand your uh, yeah your point there. On the, the Catholic side, which the, is 
Yeah, yeah, no, the goal is the to truth. Bring, bring more people to, uh, to Christ via Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, right. Though it's not to say that, like, you know, bad methods are also a sin if you do that. Right, right. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's make that clear. You don't, don't, the, the Catholic teaching is the ends do not justify the means yeah, no matter yeah, what. There we go. That yeah, is yeah. absolutely not right. Dave is saving us on the PC uh, <laughs> PC, it's stuff. just, it's just, I mean, that's just a, uh, I feel like a, a pretty, uh, pretty objective and peaceful way to look about no, it. Like, yeah, no, no I, we're not saying here. Uh, right, saying that, right. Uh, I'm, maybe. I'm looking at it through a lens of like, well, yeah, this is obvious, but I, it's not obvious whenever it comes to a lot of these things. And that's why you have me here is to be the, the objective kind of outside the lawyer voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Literally that. Okay, well, let's steer away from all that in general then, and then let's talk about what makes a Catholic culture a Catholic culture. Gotcha. So the first thing that, that always sticks out to me of what's something weird that we do that other people don't do, it's our common language. What's Do you know what our common language is? Well, it's going to be English. I mean... No, I mean, the as a Catholic, what's our common Catholic language? Catechism. Latin. Oh, oh, okay, you meant literally the language. Yes, okay. literally our language. Oh, Latin... of course we choose a dead language that no one speaks. <laughs> well, well, the, the language that... So, so Latin being the language that we use as the Catholic Church. I was curious about this myself whenever I was researching. I was like, you know, why was it Latin? Because I started thinking about it and I was like, I know Peter went to Rome, but I'm not positive he spoke Latin. And I was looking into it, and the apostles spoke Aramaic, and they spoke Greek. Yeah. So I'm sitting there going, why on earth are we using Latin? Why did that become the language of the church? And I thought I was going to find something spiritual and, like, really deep and everything like that. Well, if you recall when we fir our first episode when we talked about the Bible, St. Jerome made the Vulgate, which was the vernacular Bible that was there, yeah, uh, and put it together, and he wrote it in Latin because that was the place he lived was was in the Roman Empire. That was the predominant Christian area where everybody was on board with it. So he wrote that Vulgate in 382, and it just took off. It spread. All the churches were using it, uh, and Latin was the language of the church. Even though the Roman Empire fell about 100 years later, it just kind of stuck. Everybody was still using Latin, and hmm. it stuck at that point. So, I mean, you could also argue, like in the modern context looking back, that it's like Latin is the base for a lot of uh, very common languages. So it kind of stuck around from that as well. Just being like, yeah. oh, it's it's the closest thing without picking the singular one. We picked one that's like it's kind of generally applicable. It's kind of like yeah. it's kind of like my Spanish ability. It's like no, I can't speak Italian, but I speak enough Spanish to get by. Like, in I Italy. can find a bathroom and some food. Yeah, exactly. Be good. <laughs> I, I, I can I can uh, haggle on prices for things, and that's about it. But yeah, so so that's all there is to the reason why Latin's the language of the church. Believe it or not, Vatican II promoted uh, the Latin language. The document uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium. Concilium? You killed that. Oh, you killed I, that. I know. 
that one, <laughs> it said that Latin was supposed to be preserved in the Latin rite, and the vernacular being English, Spanish, whichever you know mm-hmm. tongue you're speaking in, uh, was to be used for the readings and directives and some of the prayers and chants. This was the idea was to preserve some unity in the church. So if the world had gotten a little smaller, I might be an English speaker going over to Germany, and if I go to mass there, I should be able to you know, pray some of the prayers and do some of the chants with the body of Christ that is there in Latin. Now, it didn't stick a whole lot. I know uh, for my parish in particular, there is zero Latin being said, but that was the idea behind it and why yeah. Vatican II really pushes Latin is because we are one church. We share that common language. So there you go. It's just because, hey, turned out the Roman Empire hadn't fallen yet, and that's why <laughs> Latin yeah, just happened to stick around, yeah. It, it, it stuck around. Um, so the next thing I thought of whenever it came to, uh, you know, what makes up the culture is common dress. So there's a couple of just street clothes that you would always recognize around the world. You can see uh, different priests are all going to be wearing black with the collar. Yeah. Uh, nuns, you're going to be able to recognize them by their habits, you know, whether you're here in the Philippines or in Hungary or whatever. Uh, but one of the big things... I mean, their habits are, just, are pretty consistent, right? Like, they wake up at the same time, say the rosary. Correct. Yeah, they eat the same thing. Got Put it. on the same clothes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what they're called, habits? Wait a minute. Yes, their clothes are called habits. No, I, I know that. That's the joke I was getting at. But I'm saying, like, are they called habits because they make a habit of wearing them? That sounds good. You know what? At that... I'm going to go ahead. You yeah, heard say it that. here first. Yeah, that's why it is. I'm I'm not even going to do any googling to uh, figure that out. Like <laughs> And you don't google it either, listener. That that is just take our word for it. Exactly. <laughs> um but the big thing is those are those are cultural items that that are just kind of common. They're not um mandated, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, each order has different habits stuff like that. The the clothing that definitely signifies us is that every priest when when giving mass is wearing the same exact things yeah they are wearing uh an amice which is a white rectangular linen that kind of hides their their roman collar that they put on during mass it looks like a what do they call dicky is what it do you know what i'm talking about a bib it's not even well it's not even a bib like it's you know that thing that goes under your shirt that goes up to your neck so, like, if you're... Uh, I don't know, but only, this is great radio, us describing the only, clothes. <laughs> the only place I remember seeing them was uh, the Big Bang Theory show. I remember Howard wore a dickie under his sweaters, because he had a V-neck sweater, so he had a, a turtleneck, basically. But it wasn't... Or, or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, uh, where Cousin Eddie is wearing the sweater... But he's only wearing like a little rectangular piece oh, of cloth gotcha. that yeah, makes yeah. him a turtleneck. It's kind of like that. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure some priests will have some uh, some objections to the way I describe that. But now you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, they'll wear an uh, an alb, and that's the long yeah, white garment. Gonna, you gotta spell some of these like A L B. And okay, so an amice is A M I C E. Okay. An alb is A-L-B. Okay. And that is to, uh, 
it, it's like a long white garment. It goes from your shoulders to your ankles. It has long sleeves that go all the way to the wrist. It was a common outer garment worn by Greco uh, by the Greco Roman world. Uh, the spiritual purpose is to remind you of your baptism because it's completely white. It's to signify his freedom from sin, purity of new life, and Christian dignity. And the book of Revelation describes the saints who stand around the altar of the Lamb in heaven as these are the ones who have survived the great period of trial. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In the same way, the priest must offer Mass with the purity of blood and soul and, soul, and the dignity befitting Christ's priesthood. Mm-hmm. So that that's the big one. I did uh, the, the Amos... I forgot to mention that was also used to, they used to put it in your helmet if you were a Roman going to war. And the idea was to get the sweat to not drip down on you. It was like a. So a headband. It was like a headband that kept you there. And that's the. God's sweatband. It's the same idea, too, for. Uh, one, it's supposed to color your cover your Roman collar mm-hmm. that you're, you know, thinking of because the priest is not acting as Father John Jacob Jinger, Jingleheimer Smith. He's acting as Christ in the Mass, so he's kind of get rid of the man who is Father Joe or whatever oh, gotcha. and yeah, bring in kind of, Christ. To kind of like standardize it to where, yeah, no, so Christ kind of applies to each person rather than the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next is the censure. That's C I N C T U R E. That's a long, thick cord with tassels. Uh, and it, same as with those Romans going to war, it's basically a belt. Same deal. Yeah. Uh, Anyone who's ever it, been an altar boy or girl. You've, uh, you've, worn, you've worn those cinchers. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so you cinch um, it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Got it. Yes. You cinch it there's, right the, way. there's the stole, which is like a uh, scarf almost. Mm-hmm. That's going to match the liturgical color that you're wearing, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But that is to, uh, it is kind of crisscrossing, symbolic of the belts that the Roman soldiers wore uh, as well. Uh, one belt holding the sword at the waist and the other belt holding a pouch with provisions like food and water. And in this sense, the stole reminds the priest not only of his authority and dignity as a priest, but also it is his duty to preach the word of God with courage and conviction and to serve the needs of the faithful. So it's, it is... The provisions, the ready for the sword. You, you're the theme here is you are going to war for Christ, putting on this this armor, basically. Hmm. Um, and then finally, the chasuble. Chasuble is the ar- garment that you see. It's either green or red or white or uh, violet. Uh, that is the outer garment worn over the albin stole. So, so I think the interesting thing here is all those things I just described. They're the inner. Yeah. Where that they're doing, and I mean, every time they put them on, there's a little prayer that goes with them and everything to get them. Oh, cool! Prepared. I didn't know that. Yeah, so so that's their when the priest is getting dressed in the in the sacristy, he's preparing himself to go pray this mass and and putting on the armor of God in a very specific way, saying specific prayers and and getting ready. So he wears finally he puts on this chasuble. It's the last thing. That I mean, there spe- one of these days, if it, you know stuff gets real bad, they might be putting on, on the literal ceramic plate body, body armor of God. They might be. Yeah, they might be. The level, and they have before. The, I mean, the, I mean, it's not. <laughs> we've been around two thousand years. There's been times where 
they're after those priests. Yeah, the the level level four ceramic plates in a plate carrier armor of God. In green, because it's ordinary time. There you go. Oh my God. <laughs> but the the chasuble reminds the priest of the the charity of Christ over all these virtues put on the on, put on love which binds the rest together and makes them perfect. That's the idea behind. That's Colossians three fourteen. I just quoted, but that's the idea behind. The chasuble there is it kind of puts it all together. Mm. And then the color of the really chasuble. Really ties ma- the outfit. Like really just yeah. makes it. Yeah. It's the one that, that's, uh, that's you know, making it really pop, really flash up there on the altar. Yeah, and you're mentioning all of these colors. And, you know, as a statement ahead, yeah, as a colorblind person, I really, uh, I really just don't appreciate it. I really wish they would kind of stray away from the uh, the red greens and, and move towards stuff that I can see better. Well, Davis, let me let me tell you how you can figure out what colors they're actually up there. Look whether at the calendar. Poor, well, yeah, whether your poor little eyes are, can can see it or not. Well, weak eyed people make me sick. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. I can't help. Well. It. Well, th- those colors that they're wearing, the colors could possibly be uh, green, violet. There is a rose or oh. pink. Uh-huh. Perfect. Um, Slides right is, into gray for me. There's white. Uh, there's red. And there's black. And I'm betting you've never seen the black before. Uh, um, Is it a funeral deal? Like- it is for a funeral deal, but typically they're not wearing black because i just don't think most parishes have them because it would look metal as hell it <laughs> would look so, whenever i was sitting there i was like i i thought there was another color and i figured out it was black i was like that would just look so awesome at a funeral i hope my priest is wearing that black uh yeah jazz will have some gold or or silver shining plates on some it. Some, some trim yeah no yeah. it's like yeah <laughs> look dope i'm dead like make it fun for everybody <laughs> yes well, that, those different colors correspond to different days of the year or different seasons of the year as well. We have six seasons. We have Advent. That's going to be one of your purple, your violets. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the four weeks uh, preparing for Christmas, for the mm-hmm. birth of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it starts either last Sunday of November or first Sunday of December, uh, typically. That's also the beginning of the liturgical year. So we start in Advent. Then we have Christmas. Christmas season is recalling, oh, recalling the nativity of Christ, mm-hmm. his manifestation to the peoples of the world. It is uh, 12 days, and it sometimes stretches or shortens based on where you live in, uh, because the bishops put the epiphany, which is the end of Christmas season, either on the next Sunday or on Thursday, it depends, Traditionally, it's been 12 days. I did figure out in America, based on what our bishops have put, the Epiphany, whether they moved it up or back, we'll never have 12 days. So every time you sing 12 days of Christmas, you should just feel like a fool because oh, man. there's not 12 days anymore. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Huh. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the weird things about the church is, is there the bishops do have some discretion on where they put some of these days. Uh, I don't love it. I wish that we all had one calendar and just said, hey. Yeah, it seems, seems like it would be a pretty common um, thing within the Catholic Church, given that the litur- liturgical calendar, I mean, say that 12 times fast, um, is like a pretty 
big thing in the Catholic Church, and given that Catholic means universal, you think it would be standardized. Yeah, I wish it was. I wish it was uh, just all one calendar. Some bishops, though, were like, hey, we're not going to get all these people to show up for a Holy Day of Obligation on Thursday. Just move it to Sunday. Because huh. it's an important day and people need to show up. Different reasons. There's There are some good reasons for it. There are some bad reasons for it. I wish it was all the same, but it's not. Um, which is why, you know, you got to pay attention to your own calendar. Uh, the important thing is everybody's getting the celebrations in at some point. Gotcha. We're not missing a, a celebration because one bishop was like, I don't really like the Feast of the Epiphany, so get it off our calendar. Hmm. That, that doesn't happen. So Christmas is that time from from Christmas to the Epiphany. Uh, then we have uh, another period of ordinary time. So after Christmas, there's ordinary time. Uh, that is divided into two sections. One spans four to eight weeks. So it goes from Christmas time to uh, Lent. And there's another time after uh, the Easter season that is six months basically between Easter season and Advent on the back end. So that is just kind of your standard. At that point too, Advent, uh, ordinary time you're wearing green. Yeah. Advent you're wearing purple, Christmas you're wearing white. Uh, ordinary time you're wearing green. Then after the first uh, first part of ordinary time, you have Lent, and that's a six-week period before uh, Easter. It's a period of penance. It's when we're not eating meat on Fridays. It's when uh, you're fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Uh, those are the big uh, preparation time, <laughs> and you're wearing purple there as well. Same for Advent. You're preparing. That is the idea However, living in today's day and age, whenever Christmas decorations are put up in November. I was about to say, yeah, the uh, Christmas season starts at uh, whenever the Macy's takes down the Thanksgiving Day uh, right. decorations. And, and that is something that Catholics get swept up into as we start celebrating way too early. Ideally, what should happen is you should have your Advent season, have your Advent wreaths, put some decorations out. A lot of Catholics, they put up their tree on Christmas Day because then we have a full Christmas season afterwards. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. Though. <laughs> yeah that, no. that, that's just not how it works uh, because we adapt to the culture that's around us as well. We are in a very Protestant culture when we're, you know, in the South. So that's not something... People are taking their Christmas lights down December 26th, and if you're just getting the party started there, you're going to get some weird looks. So it's becoming part of the culture as well and culturalization mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> gosh so let's see we had uh so now we're at lent we had that six period of penance before easter then we have the easter triduum triduum those are the three holiest days of the the church's year those are the days that we recall christ's suffering death and and uh sacrifice for us it starts in holy thursday night uh where we celebrate the last supper and the beginning of Christ's passion, where he's about to go do the agony, have the agony in the garden, go put on trial before Pilate, get scourged at the pillar. And then we have Good Friday when he carries his cross uh, and he is crucified. And then Saturday when he's taken down from the cross and, and put into the tomb as well. Um, or Friday he's done that, he's put into the tomb, so Saturday he's in the tomb. Yeah. So those are the three holiest days of the church here. Uh, and it ends with the Easter Vigil on Holy Saturday evening. 
Easter Vigil typically starts at 8, uh, traditionally started at midnight, but it has to be after dark. So a lot okay. of our feasts start, you can push it like, say, 4 p.m., I think, is whenever you're allowed to start celebrating that next day. Yeah. Um, but that's the one they're like, no, it has to be dark. That's kind of the point. Hmm. You can't have a 4 p.m. Easter Vigil. Yeah. I'm sure some priests do it, but you're not supposed to. <laughs> Some of that, um, uh, some of that local leeway they're allowed. Yes, uh, I don't think they're allowed, but nobody's nobody's coming to get them. It's like going seventy two, and the cops like, eh, they can go on. <laughs> yeah. Um. So then, uh, after the Easter Triduum, uh, Protestants get one day of Easter. We get fifty. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Easter Sunday is just the start of the Easter season. Uh, now, during the I forgot to say Triduum, you're wearing uh, red. At that point as well. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because it symbolizes the passion of Christ. Easter, we're wearing white again because it's a celebration. It's 50 days of joyful celebration and the Lord's resurrection from the dead and then his sending forth of the Holy Spirit as well. So we go through all that. That ends with uh, Pentecost 50, 50 days later. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I, I feel really dumb for never putting the connection between Penta and 50. Yep. So Pentecost is whenever uh, you know Christ had already ascended to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit down to the disciples. They started speaking in tongues to everybody there, and church was off to the races. Gotcha. Huh. Yeah. So And then it goes back to ordinary time in Advent, and, and that cycle goes every single year. Mm-hmm. And that's the, yeah, liturgical calendar as a whole. Right. So that, that's the, the seasons. And then in the midst of the seasons, we have feast days, we have solemnities, and we have memorials. So solemnities are the most sacred days. Those are days uh, that are set aside. A lot of them are holy days of obligation as well, uh, as well as Sundays. Sundays are holy days of obligation as well. These are days when the faithful are obliged to participate in Mass. You have to go to Mass. Uh, You also have to abstain from unnecessary work or any other activities that hinder your rest of mind and body. So each Sunday is a holy day of obligation. These six solemnities are also observed as feasts of precept in the United States where it's days that you have to, if you at all possible, abstain from any work, any physical labor, anything that's not going to be restful and rejuvenating um, gotcha. because God now, is rested it, on the seventh day. Now is that's that, what we want to emulate. Yeah, now is that um, subject to a little, uh, I guess, personal discretion? Obviously, you say unnecessary work. I always heard it was always just work generally, and you can kind of take that as far as you want. But, like, for example, we talked about earlier, uh, the fact that I played 27 holes of golf yesterday uh, – like, is that considered work, or is it rejuvenating to personally to my mind and body, and therefore fine? It is going to be based on your discretion as well. Oh, okay. So, like, if that's relaxing for you, and you're like, you feel recharged afterwards, great. Is there a paper decree? But like, nah, you can only play eighteen. <laughs> if it if it was my dad who was doing it and just like grinding out there and throwing yeah. gloves and stuff, no, that would not be suitable for him. Um, it really does come down to like actual labor as well. So like if you're a nurse, you can't, you have to go to work. (laughs) You got to go take care of your patients, you know, stuff like that. If you are, uh, you know, on your own 
business that is has no reason to stay open on a Sunday that's actually life or death, yeah, you need to take that day off for rest and, and rejuvenation and, and mind and body. That's one of the things that does get a little annoying if you're Catholic because typically your culture is still up and running and working and you're like, man, I need to compete. I need to, uh, you know, get this done. I even felt, you know, on Sunday nights, I'm like, man, I really want to start working and get my mind right for work. But the idea is to be restful and relaxing and everything like that. Um, and that's the same. The other part where it comes into conflict are those six holy days of obligation as well. So there's the Immaculate Conceptions on December 8th. That's a day where, if at all possible, you need to take off work, chill, pray, be with God. Uh, the Immaculate Conception being Mary's conception, not Jesus's. Yeah. That's also a common misunderstanding as well. And um, hey, podcast topic. Because a lot of people uh, don't understand go. that. And I, I think I didn't understand that until recently. Yeah. Was that it? Was that it? Yeah. No, we talked about that. But uh, hey, we'll have to go. We'll, that's a full Mary topic, is what we'll have to do. But there then there's also uh, the easy ones. Christmas. Everybody's off for Christmas. But if you were, um, like, if you lived in a predominantly Muslim country, you would want to do your best to take off Christmas as well. Mm. Uh, then there's the Solemnity of Mary. That's January first. Typically, you have that off already because people love some New York New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Epiphany, January 6th. So we're piling them all up <laughs> right here in the Christmas season. That's yeah. the celebratory time of the year. Then the next one's not till uh, St. Joseph's Day, March uh, 19th. Uh, and typically that falls in the middle of Lent. So it's a nice little reprieve of whatever your sacrifice is during Lent. Uh, you have the Ascension. That's the Thursday, six weeks after Easter. So there's Easter Sunday. Six weeks later, you have the Ascension on that Thursday. There's Corpus Christi, which is the body and blood of Christ is what that means. That's the Thursday, eight weeks after Easter Sunday. Uh, There's St. Peter and St. Paul the Apostles Day. That's June 29th. Mary's Assumption into Heaven. That's August 15th. And All Saints Day, November 1st. Mm -hmm. Some of those days, bishops have moved over to the Sunday I believe the Ascension's one of them that they just, like, put it on Sunday. Don't know why, but the United States, most dioceses, except for, I think, Boston, maybe Oklahoma, or Hart- and Hartford, Connecticut. I think those three keep it on a Thursday, and for some reason, every other diocese moved it. Oklahoma, the real outlier there. Oklahoma has a very vibrant Catholic community that huh. I didn't know about. Part of it, too, is, uh, and I learned about this while reading here, is during the Trail of Tears period as well, because these Catholic missionaries had worked so much with these Native American communities, now that we're back full circle with that, they followed them to Oklahoma and and went the trail with them and and helped them get established. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, spills over that holiness that they showed and that mercy and charity that they showed there spilled over into giving them such a vibrant Catholic community uh, there in Oklahoma. Hmm. Learn something new every day, which is, again, the point of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the the big deal. There are some things we always try to do at home to really live liturgically, I guess, in these 
uh, calendar, we look up feast days, we figure out what's going on. There's a feast day called uh, Michaelmas, which is the feast of the uh, archangels, Gabriel, uh, Michael, and Raphael. Traditionally, it's called Michaelmas. And there's some different traditions that you can do. We're going to throw a big party over at our house on that day. Uh, it's the day that we celebrate Michael casting Satan into hell and, uh, you know, just wrecking his world. We're going to have a pinata that looks like the devil. And the kids are going to get to, you know, beat it with sticks. Hmm. Uh, we're going to, there's a tradition of eating angel food cake, obviously. Oh, that's, yeah. uh, Real punny. Real punny. <laughs> yes. There's also blackberries is a big thing because the ancient story is that yeah, You don't Satan have deviled felt... eggs at all? Not nowhere in a 10 block radius? Deviled like... eggs. No deviled eggs. You get them out. Devil's food cake. Get it out of here. Uh-huh. No yeah, more of that. <laughs> but that the, everything, I... everything is a pasta with angel hair. Like... Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, but we're also going to have blackberries because there's this story that when Satan was falling and, and being sent to hell, he spit upon a blackberry bush. So you're supposed to like eat all the blackberries up before he could spit on the blackberries and you're not they didn't pick blackberries after Michaelmas at at that point too. So you got okay, some blackberry seem, cobbler or that something. That seems dumb as hell and it just sounds like it coincided with the uh, blackberries growing season. Well like. very well could have. <laughs> but that's part of the fun of, of these Catholic traditions is that you know, there's practical reasons to them, and there's also fun reasons. So, so we we try our hardest to like celebrate those days because celebrations a big part of our Catholic culture when it comes to these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other part is you do have to put in the work and to pray in the lead up to that as well. Because if you're just celebrating, but it looks no different than your every single day, you know that doesn't matter. If you're putting in the work and building up the the kingdom of God every make other it, day of the make week, make it mean something. Yeah, it feels a lot better. So that's that. That's what I got. Gotcha. Okay. Well, very interesting, Cole. Always, uh, always learn something that our new, uh, well, every week in our podcast. But, uh, but this week from my segment, I'm doing something that I probably should have done on the front end, uh, and that is, how do you become a saint? Like. How, what is the process of canonization, which is the process of being named a saint? And this is one that uh, I did, did some research on, and weirdly there were some conflicting bits. So, hey, guess what? You're going to help out on this too. So Perfect. So generally, canonization is the process of becoming a saint. You might have heard it before, but that's generally what it is. called canonization. If they've been canonized, you become a saint. Uh, so the process has evolved massively over the past 2,000 years, which is something you can generally say about the Catholic Church. Um, but really, the Church ha- has had a formal process of some kind since the 10th century. Uh, the current process, the one we have now, is uh, was settled on in 1983. Um, but really, uh, the, the processes between, uh, say, the 10th century and 83... Uh, are very complicated and involve a, and involve a lot of Latin, so uh, I'm not going to discuss those. <laughs> <laughs> like you haven't studied the language of the church, Davis. Yeah, yeah, you said that about Latin earlier, and I was like, oh man, yeah. Uh, uh, doing the research for this, it was just a lot of Latin, uh, and it was a lot. You of already explaining. heard me butchered whatever the name of that 
papal document from Vatican II was. So yep. So I'm gonna save myself that embarrassment and not do that. So uh, what we're gonna talk about today is just a normal process for how a normal person can become a saint today. So and we can use you for an example, Colby, because like you know, it's always been my thing that uh, you would hopefully become the Pope one day, and those hopes have been dashed. So appreciate that. Really let me really let me down there. So. Specifically, canonization is a statement of the church that the, that person enjoys the beatific, beatific, beatific vision of heaven. Now, Colby, you might want to help me out on that. I kind beatific. Of, beatific, yeah, also, but I think that refers to like what we talked about in the last episode, uh, where it's like they have seen heaven, or at least got a right, peek, they are, they've gotten a peek they at are it. in heaven and they have seen God yeah, face it, to face. Yeah, so it's the church saying that this person is in heaven, period, end of story. Uh, but really, to become a saint, you got to have several steps. Like, there's actually, like, a little process to walk up to being a saint. Um, the first big requirement, and a lot, and also a lot of these requirements can be waived at papal authority, but you can kind of walk past that. But uh, first big requirement to become a saint is uh, you have to be dead for, like, five years. Five years, I believe, is the cutoff. Uh, now, you can waive that a little bit. I think um, for Mother Teresa, it was only two uh, before they began the process. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but that's something I didn't know. Didn't know you had to be dead, and I didn't know there was a timeline specifically. I thought you can kind of do awesome stuff on the front end and do it while you're you, alive. You can, as a saint, like do some great stuff and answer some prayers and intercessions, but I think that's mainly to avoid... like. Jimmy just died and he's a saint. Canonize him now. Yeah. I think it's that. Let's take a breath. Let's review their life and make sure that we're where we need to be. Yeah. So once that happens, uh, say say we're at this point. Five years, you're dead. Uh, once you've been dead for about five years, a bishop then gives permission to pretty much open an investigation about you. And this is very also kind of summarized, so uh, I might skip past a few little bits. But essentially, they open up an investigation into you that looks into uh, your writings, your speeches, sermons, eyewitness accounts. Essentially, what they do is they write a very detailed biography on your life, what you did, and could you possibly be a saint? Uh, and once they have gathered that evidence, and it literally is evidence, and I'll mention that later... Uh, they present it to the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints, which is about the funnest named papal, like a uh, Catholic office that I've heard of. Uh, but it's essentially the Catholic organization that oversees that process, the canonization process. Um, so at this point, the saint to be is called a servant of God. Uh, so that's like our first stage, servant of God. Uh, Dicastery looks over those materials. Uh, and at a certain point later on, they uh, give permission to exhume the body of the candidate, which is uh, something I wasn't aware of. Uh, yep. Yep, yep. They essentially make sure uh, that there has been no heretical worship of the candidate or their tomb, uh, a, a process called the certification non cultus. Uh, so, yeah, they essentially make sure that you there hadn't been a cult spring up around you, your dead body, or the place where you're buried. Yeah, that's one thing uh, that they... We talked briefly about the Padre Pio mm -hmm. uh, movie coming out with Shia LaBeouf. That is one thing that everybody worries about, and why they like locked Padre Pio away in a, you know, in his room for so many years is because you don't want, you know, this man who has 
the wounds of Christ in his hands and is, you know, floating and all these things that it's easy for people like that's God right there. Let's worship him. But yeah, no, that's not what you want. Yeah, no, that that's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. And it's definitely one of those requirements that they came up kind of post hoc, like, cause it's, it's kind of like the warning you see on hammers. Like don't hit yourself in the head with this hammer. It's like, cause someone's definitely done it before. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, assuming they have that certification non cultus, uh, they take relics from the tomb, which, um, I imagine, or, you know, in a real protected vault on the off chance that person becomes a saint. So that's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. So the next stage is venerable. Um, so when the dicastery gets sufficient evidence, it asks the, co- the Pope to uh, proclaim the heroic virtue of this servant of God, meaning that that servant of God had exercised uh, to a heroic decree the virtue, several virtues. So like the virtues of faith, hope, charity, um, and along with the cardinal virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. At that point, if they are deemed to meet all those criteria, they are then entitled venerable. Now, venerable folks don't have their feast, don't have a feast day. Uh, you're also not allowed to erect a parish church in their name, and the church does not issue a statement on their probable or certain presence in heaven. And if you'll notice those three little categories, that changes as we go down. So. The next stage uh, is one that folks are probably familiar with if you're uh, any part of uh, being Catholic, um, is the process of beatification or getting the title blessed. Uh, Really, this stage kind of depends, and next the path forward, depends on whether you got killed for God. Uh, So for a martyr, the Pope, essentially, for you to be beatified, essentially only has to say, you're a martyr, and you can be beatified. Yeah. Uh, and being a martyr, I mean, it's essentially a certification that says the venerable uh, gave their life voluntarily as a witness of the faith or in an act of heroic charity for others, uh, which heroic charity is, uh, again, that's why they have uh, Catholic lawyers for this within the Vatican. Uh, they literally do, yes. And I'll get to that in a moment. So, uh, so if you're not a martyr, you have to jump a pretty big hurdle. Uh, you have to have performed a miracle. And that miracle has to be verified. Uh, that miracle is seen, and the purpose of it, it is seen as a sign from God that that person has the beatific vision. Again, like we talked about before, that they've seen God, seen heaven. Um, in modern times, these miracles are pretty much always miraculous cures of infirmity, essentially uncurable sicknesses. Um, but they can take many forms. You've also heard of uh, the stigmata. Uh <laughs> One that uh, I feel like I've heard before, but I didn't, it, you know, I, it just didn't come across. But uh, one is, it's called liquefaction. Uh, yes. Yeah, and you become liquefied as, like, when you're dead, and you become liquefied on, like, your feast day, or the day you were killed, or what have you. Yeah. And then you become, it's like, what, I can't imagine being the first guy to see that. There's, uh, there, there are churches that are in Italy where it's one day a year, like, that blood that's yeah. taken from them is completely solid. And then, Hey, it's their feast day and it's liquid. And you could just sit there and you can go look at it. There literally you can go is a one video, day and there's a video of uh, Pope Francis with one of those where it's liquid on that day, I believe, or that or JP two, one of the two, but, uh, but yeah, no, uh, I read it. It was like liquefaction. Oh, okay. You know, you know, the blood, but like, I was like, Oh God, is it the whole body? They, like, <laughs> they happen to walk up to a case of soup. 
like uh, oh what, yeah it's what not happened? that <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but uh but yeah it's it's largely that in and colby you can kind of help me clarify it here because i can i couldn't figure there were conflicting sources on whether those miracles have to be post-mortem or during the life of yes they had to be post-mortem which is which is something i wasn't aware of because i thought always thought like stigmata as you're living is considered a miracle and will count towards canonization it certainly is. It's something that's going to pique the interest, be like, okay, this is a living saint, but those miracles... And, and again, the Pope does have the discretion to be like, you know what, we yeah. don't need the second miracle because we he was just so holy, he had the stigmata, and he didn't complain about it, you know, whatever it is. So it, it doesn't necessarily count, but it counts. Yeah, again, it's like, you know, in, in rare cases, pretty much the Pope can waive all of these requirements, but like, yeah. but I always thought that like something that happened in life, because you know, you, you think of like uh, the miracle, it's like, okay, well, say, I don't I haven't Googled Mother Teresa, but like say she has a miracle and she healed somebody by laying the hands on them. That wouldn't count towards their canonization. Yeah. Like for, no, like hitting all the Yeah, it, it, it needs to, it needs to happen after death. It has Speaking to be of her, intercession on her behalf. It, it's her feast day today. Did you know that? Yeah, Mother we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and say yeah, I did, and that's why I, would, I did this. So, yeah, way to go. Interesting. Way yeah. to squeeze that in there. <laughs> Thanks, Gulp. Thanks for the save. Yeah, uh, You're welcome. So, so yeah, so they need a miracle if they're not a martyr, and so if a person is beatified, they get the title of blessed and they get a feast day. But generally, that's a the celebration of that feast day is limited to their local area, like where their diocese. Uh, right. Yeah, so it is not like celebrated on a wide scale, just only within that area where they were. Um, so finally, the fun one, uh, you get sainthood. So to be canonized as a saint, you need at least one miracle after your death. Again, it's that at least one, because it depends. If you declare a martyr, you need one. But if you were not a martyr, you're going to need a second miracle in addition to the one uh, for beatification. So if you're a martyr, you get one. You need two if you're uh weren't a martyr, which is also, again, can kind of be waived either way by the Pope. I believe it was John Paul II or, or actually Mother Teresa um, that were, it was kind of, it was kind of skewed a little bit. They might have waived one of the requirements on the miracle thing. But uh, at that point, once you become a saint, uh, you can, like, a parish can erect, a local parish can erect a church in that person's name. Um, everyone can celebrate their feast day. And people can generally, say Catholic people, can generally freely celebrate and honor that saint. So that's largely the process. And I also wanted to make the side note in here, and it's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's the common one that I know Colby and I talk about, but uh, folks not, might not be aware. But so this process is the origin of the term the devil's advocate, um, because, which is, you know, just so much fun for me because that's the role I play in this podcast. And, uh, and in life. And in life, being an attorney. But, uh, but so, the, so during this process, in pre-1983, it was um, a lot more prevalent, but post, it's becoming a little muted, but it's still there. But um, the devil's advocate is a term for uh, a person in this process because essentially once they get all that information in uh, for the dicastery, they have a bit of a trial. Uh, for this person becoming saint. So you have one who Agni argues on behalf of like the anointed, uh, the saint-to-be uh, for their canonization. And then you have uh, another, uh, and I forget the Latin on the top of my head, but uh, 
you have another that argues against canonization. And uh, that person arguing against that canonization uh, is what was known as the devil's advocate uh, because they're arguing against a saint becoming a saint. Um, so yeah, no, that's actually the origin of that term. And yeah, it comes from this process. But Now Colby, how far off was I on some of that? No, that's you got it all right on that. That's Ooh. that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, I, I started thinking about you know some of the people in the process. There, there is uh, Sister Thea Bowman. She was a uh, Mississippian that uh, is currently being in the process of canonization. She's she's uh, she's servant of God, Sister Bowman, right now. Ah, so she, she was. Uh, somebody who lived in Yazoo City and really worked with the African-American community that was there and did a lot of evangelization. And I believe she spoke in front of the, um, I think she spoke in front of the Conference of Catholic Bishops as well. She also is somebody who really took on that idea of, okay, we need to, uh, I already forgot our word of, uh, enculturalization. Mm. She also took enculturalization very seriously too to try to uh, to bring others to Christ in the the Delta area of Mississippi. There was also uh, so past servant of God. You got venerable. There's venerable Fulton Sheen. That's one that a lot of Americans are also trying to you know push his cause as well. He he. You can find his videos on YouTube. But he was like the first TV first media priest. Ah. And he gave some cool stuff. Uh, he's also kind of sarcastic, which is why I liked him a lot. And something I forgot to look up: um, what is normally the time frame for, like, say they died, say the five, <clears throat> five years has passed from like them submitting the papers for service, uh, servant of God, to Pope declaring them a saint? What is that timeline? Typically, it's. Uh, I mean, it depends on who it is. So, like fulton sheen he he was supposed to be moved up to blessed in 2019 but that got postponed it can be very quick like mother Teresa, like we were talking about or depending on the fervor for that saint because the purpose of canonization isn't to say isn't to get them to heaven they're already there by the time they're blessed we know they're in heaven um and, it, and that was to, something i don't think i mentioned the yeah, the the um yeah, becoming a saint is a formal declaration by the Catholic Church that that person is in heaven. Like, right. All of us hope. I hope all of us are are saints because that just means you're in heaven. We even the angels. We call them Saint Michael, Saint mm -hmm. uh, Gabriel. They are saints because they are in heaven. You don't have to be canonized to be in heaven. That's not how that works. <laughs> yeah, you can be forgotten completely, but still be in heaven. But that's. Uh, you know, something that the purpose of canonization is to let us look at these people who lived heroic lives and, and try to replicate them and have these devotions where, yeah. hey, I really want to be like Sister Thea. I really want to be like uh, Father uh, Sheen. I, I want to be like these holy men and women that lived here on earth. Yeah, it's like um, the Catholic Church really isn't, probably isn't going to say anything about Davis Pig, but it's like... It's the Catholic Church saying, like, we're pretty damn sure that this person's in heaven. Like, well, like, we'll put we're, our money on it. Like, the devil's advocate at your canonization process can be like, 
He told. He said this about Saint oh, Peter on the podcast. Him, he said him this. So much evidence right now. Like we I, have I really, his Twitter records right here, and here's what he tweeted on September twelfth, two thousand fourteen. Oh, know. I hadn't. I hadn't had Twitter since like twenty thirteen. I'm a. I was. I was a good boy on Twitter, but. Uh, <laughs> Those, no, those are like the definitely weird on the things. podcast. They got me. They, like they those got are the me weird, some some jokes. Those are the weird things. Now, like saints, it's cool to read. You know, like what Saint Augustine said, and yeah. have his books, and we can you can see his words there on paper. It's weird, kind of with Fulton Sheen looking at his YouTube videos and watching him teach and move around and stuff. There's the first millennial saint. His name is Carlo Acutis. He is. Uh, he just became blessed, uh, I think, last year. Well, so he's not a saint yet. Not yet. Um, but there, there is a large cause for his canonization as well. People are there's. I, my wife sent me a, a story. I forgot the kid's name, but there's some kid with leukemia, which is what uh, Carlo Acutis died of. Uh, that is, they're trying to get a miracle out of Carlo Acutis by saving this this child. So everybody's praying for this child through the intercessions of Carlo Acutis. Kinda, and that's what they're trying to make his second miracle be. It's like really putting it on God to be like, look, if you want him to be a saint, you'll cure my child. Seems like kind of a weird way to phrase that. Like trying to get a saint, uh, trying to get a uh, miracle out of this guy <laughs> on this sick kid. <laughs> yeah. But, but to answer your question on the timelines, it depends on how much fervor there is for them. Gotcha. Like Sister Thea Bowman, she's been she's been through the, the process for a long time because there's just a very small niche of Mississippians that even know who she is. That's gotcha. really pushing for her canonization. You know, Carlo Acutis, people all over the world are like, we want this kid to be the patron saint of playing Xbox and PlayStation and stuff like that. We're going to, you know, we want our first millennial saint to be canonized. So that's the... Oh, the, That's the idea there. It is going to be cringy as hell when the the church officially declares the patron saint of gamers. Like it's going to be Carlo Acutis because his big deal was uh, that he created websites and coded to like tell you where Eucharistic miracles oh were, and Marian apparitions, stuff like that. So it will be him. Uh, that's just side note for him in particular. I was I saw some Reddit post where it goes, okay. I've done the research and I'm a hundred percent positive that I played uh, Xbox against this dude online and said some very nasty things to him <laughs> about his mother. <laughs> it's just like, and that just something nowadays. The, the, the patron saying of like being civil in a in a modern warfare two lobby in 2011. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, yes. Well, neat. Well, so that yeah, that's the process of canonization. I probably should have let off with that. Like, with this whole podcast talking about saints. Who are these saints? Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff I didn't know about that. I mean, I really didn't know that those miracles have to happen after death. Uh, I didn't know that there were really two stages before beatification. Uh, like, yeah, or that the Pope can waive a lot of this on the front end. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's a interesting thing, and now we can kind of build forward with it. Yeah, certainly. I'm glad you brought that out this week too. Whenever I, you know, we didn't have too heavy of a topic, just some, some fun. What's fun about being Catholic? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, where's our, so, where's the tailgate, and uh, and how do you get the invite to it? Not as deep as as what is hell? <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. All right. Well, enjoyed it. 
We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to us on the Pius the Pig and the Podcast. And shout out to our one listener from Croatia. Also, all of our listeners, but like, you know, hey, no, sorry, uh, the Czech Republic. There we go. Yes, especially that guy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you next week. See you guys. Peace.